Hello, my rebels. I sometimes read scientific papers. Uh, I'm not a scientist myself, so I have to read very slowly and check with others to make sure I get it. But today I'm going to take you through a study. I'm going to read a lot of it word for word. And most importantly, I'm going to show you a chart. And you're going to be stunned by it. I don't want to give it all away. But it answers the question, hey, doesn't it seem like a lot of vaxxed people are getting the Omicron version of this disease? And the scientific study from Denmark with more than 5,000 patients studied, well, it gives you an answer that's unbelievable. I'll show you the primary documents. I'll show you the charts. I'll read you the report. Um, this is one of those times where having the video version of the podcast really helps. You can see the chart. You can see that I'm not making it up, that I'm reading from the report. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. That's what we call that TV version, the video version, rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month, half the price of Netflix. You get my daily show, weekly shows from Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapados. And I actually think the biggest payoff is not even our content. It's knowing in your heart that you are one of the reasons we're able to survive as an independent media source in this age when 99% of journalists get bought off by Trudeau with his media bailout. We don't take a dime from Trudeau, never will. So please consider going to rebelnewsplus.com and clicking subscribe. Frankly, even if you don't watch our video version that often, we could use the support. Okay, here's today's show. I think it's going to surprise you. Tonight, is it just me or is the Omicron variant of the virus actually worse if you have a vaccine? Spoiler alert, it's not just me. It's December 23rd and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I don't blame anyone for getting sick, just like I don't blame anyone for getting cancer. Sometimes that's hard when someone is an alcoholic, or if they're really fat, and then they get liver disease or a heart attack, our untrained eyes detect a cause, and if the cause is in some way rooted in a free choice, the mind wanders. <laughs> Maybe it makes me a bad person, but I think that's why it was hard for me to take public health lectures from Sarah Hoffman, the former NDP Minister of Health in Alberta. Or imagine Maggie de Bloch, the health minister for Belgium. I I'm not making fun of them for being fat. They may have a medical problem I don't know about. Uh, maybe, I doubt it. They are so good at managing things that it would be nuts to have anyone healthier running the healthcare system. But when so much of health these days is scolding you, nudging you, nagging you, ordering you around, it's not quite as compelling when the person doing the scolding doesn't seem to practice what they preach. You know, universal healthcare has been a liberal mantra for nearly a century, actually. For a while, it was considered by the official people, at least, to be central to Canada's identity, Medicare. It's what made us, us. 
Imagine defining your people and your history and your geography and your culture by a government welfare program. That, by the way, didn't really work, and we don't even really talk about it so much anymore, partly because it so obviously doesn't work in the crisis of our time. And in the past two years, it's obviously failed. We did a show the other day about a report that half a million surgeries have been canceled because of COVID. But of course, COVID didn't cancel them. Politicians and bureaucrats did. But what's gross about these days is the blaming of sick people, blaming them as unclean and underclass, militarizing public and medical opinion against them. That's that they're dirty, that we're clean, they're dirty. It's a moral failure on their part. We're so much more moral. It's so weird. We're, we're in the era of fat celebrating, not fat shaming. We're in the era of drug legalization, not just marijuana, but hard drugs, where leftists promote shooting galleries, public shooting galleries, where you can use hard drugs legally. I think there's still some stigma attached to drunk drivers who kill. That's true. But think about it. We praise fat people. We praise drug users. We've banned gyms for the past two years, so we've penalized healthy fitness. But if you get sick from COVID, you're morally to blame. You have to be shamed. At least that's how it's been framed for the past year as forced vaccines have been the narrative. But now the majority of people are vaccinated. And far from this all being over, the spread of the virus is, is the highest ever. And it's obviously vax people getting sick. Not completely. Some unvaxed people do too. But I note, for example, uh, that in Alberta, 81% of the cases these days are in vaccinated people. So how does that work? Well, obviously, they're not really vaccinated. They're, they're, they're something. But I, I don't think you can honestly call that something a vaccine. I, I saw some news, newspapers using the word super immunity and one saying incredible super immunity. Um, how about just immunity where you're immune? I, I don't think those things are happening. Now, luckily, um, the Omicron variety uh, seems to be not much worse than the common cold. Lots of guesses, lots of speculation about what's going on, some cognitive dissonance for some people who were told to vax and get a booster and they would be fine. But they're not fine. They're getting sick. Here's a thoughtful comment by Tim Poole. He was responding to this bizarre vaccine mandate rule by the mayor of Chicago, basically banning people from getting anything to eat. By the way, most black people in Chicago and also in Washington, D.C., which is about a 70% black city, they're unvaxxed. But put that Jim Crow law aside for now. Just take a look at the mayor here for a second. Exempt from this order are houses of worship, K through 12 schools, grocery stores, office buildings, and residential buildings. Now, that doesn't mean that people who are in control of those spaces shouldn't themselves affirmatively take precautions. But for now, this order doesn't cover those venues. Also exempt are any individuals entering an establishment for less than 10 minutes for the purpose of merely ordering food or drink. So if you're going in that coffee shop to pick up and go, you don't need to show proof. But if you're going to linger, you're going to eat that muffin, 
You're going to sit down with your laptop. You got to show proof of vaccination. So Tim Poole points out, he says, two people enter a restaurant. He's talking about Chicago now. Only one is vaxxed. They're both standing next to each other. Unvaxxed is waiting to order takeout. Vaxxed is waiting for a table. Vaxxed has COVID, but has proof of vaccination and is allowed to sit. Unvaxxed does not have COVID, but must leave. <laughs> That's how it is. Because most people catching the virus now are vaxxed. But they have a license, a pass, a QR code to enter an establishment to get on a plane, whatever. There's absolutely no screening for the virus to get on a plane these days. If you've got that little pass saying you're vaxxed, you're allowed on. No test for you. The screening isn't for the virus. It's for political compliance. Okay, but enough preamble. Here's the news. A study out of Denmark published here on a website hosted by the British Medical Journal and Yale and funded, by the way, by the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation. Now, you'll forgive me if I use a little bit of jargon here because I want to read this to you. I'll skip over some terminology that's irrelevant to our conversation. Um, here's the headline of this study. Vaccine effectiveness against SARS coronavirus 2. That's how they say COVID-19. Infection with the Omicron or Delta variants following a two-dose or booster BNT162, that, that's Pfizer, or mRNA1273, that's Moderna vaccination series, a Danish cohort study. Okay, so for all the jargon, that basically means they're studying, do those two vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, do they work against Omicron or Delta um, if you got two or three shots of it over time, okay? So I, I'm going to sometimes skip over words like BNT162, whatever, uh, just just because that's a technical description of Pfizer, I'm just going to translate some of the jargon just to make the reading easier. But I'll show you the words. And of course, you can click on the study yourself. So let me read from it. In this brief communication, we are showing original research results with early estimates from Danish nationwide databases of vaccine effectiveness, VE against COVID-19 Omicron variant up to five months after a primary vaccination series with the vaccines and Pfizer and Moderna, the ones they checked. So is that clear enough? By the way, they studied more than 5,000 people, so it's a big survey. So here's their summary. Our study provides evidence of protection against infection with the Omicron variant after completion of a primary vaccination series with the vaccines. In particular, we found a vaccine effectiveness against the Omicron variant of 55% and 36% for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, respectively, in the first month after primary vaccination. However, the vaccine effectiveness is significantly lower than that against Delta infection and declines rapidly. Over just a few months, the vaccine effectiveness is reestablished upon revaccination with the Pfizer vaccine, 55%, etc. So all that confidence interval stuff that they say is, is just a way of saying how, how statistically certain they are of this given the sample size. 
But, but did you catch that part? The, the vaccine only works a certain percentage of the time, it, 36% of the time, whatever, against Omicron after, after a very short period of time. How can you sell something as a vaccine if it doesn't work most of the time? <laughs> Isn't that a bad Ron Burgundy joke from Anchorman? Well, I'll give this little cookie an hour before we're doing the no pants dance. <laughs> Time to musk up. Wow. Never ceases to amaze me. What cologne are you going to go with? London gentleman or... Wait. No, no, no. Hold on. Blackbeard's delight. No. She gets a special cologne. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. Yep, it's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. <laughs> it stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Well, let's go see if we can make this little kitty purr. Hey, sweet cheeks. Got an invite I'd like to extend your way. My God. What is that smell? Oh. That's the smell of desire, my lady. God, no, it smells like, like a used diaper filled with Indian food. Oh, excuse me. You know, desire smells like that to some people. What is that? The vaccines are not working against Omicron. They, they work half the time or a third of the time. Even if you're triple boosted, even if you keep getting boosted, it, it works for a bit, but then it fades away very quickly. But actually, their charts show more than their written reports. They don't talk about this part in their written report, after a while, these two vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, they give negative protection. As in, if you get the Pfizer or Moderna shot, after three months, you are more likely to get sick than if you didn't get the shot at all. Look at this. Let me read to you from the chart. Estimated vaccine effectiveness for Pfizer and Moderna against infection with the uh, Omicron and Delta variants, okay? So, so you can see for the first 30 days, Pfizer is 55% effective and Moderna is 30, 37% effective, okay? So I, I told you that before. But look a month out, right? 31 days out, Pfizer barely works. Do you see that? 16%? Moderna works a bit better. Two months out, 60 days, you see that? Both have fallen to single digits. They don't work more than 90% of the time. Seriously, what's that? 9.7% effectiveness for Pfizer, 4.2% effectiveness for Moderna? It's useless. You might as well be taking a placebo. But look at the next line. And it's weird to me that they didn't highlight this. This should be in the headline on the front page. I shouldn't have to dig it out in the chart. This should be in the written report. 
91 days out, what's the effectiveness here? Minus 76.5% for Pfizer, minus 39.3% for Moderna. Minus. You are literally more likely to get infected if you are vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna than if you're not. This is not my opinion. This is what this chart in this national Danish study published online by a collaboration of Yale and the British Medical Journal show, and they're sponsored, like I say, by Mark Zuckerberg. This is not some anti-vaccine website. What's the point? <laughs> I mean, Omicron hasn't killed anybody, doesn't really hospitalize anybody. It's the opposite. People are admitted to a hospital for another reason, and then maybe they happen to be diagnosed with Omicron too. So, so it's like a cold. It's no big deal. But by God, we need to sell some boosters. We need to keep the fear machine going. But the shots aren't working. That's not me saying it. That's the Danish study. Here's how the Washington Post put it. <laughs> in this uh, Buried in this report, they say Denmark's data shows people with two doses to be just as vulnerable to Omicron infection as the unvaccinated. Mm, no, actually. The Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, uh, the, the study doesn't actually show vaccinated people to be just as vulnerable as the unvaccinated. It shows them to be more vulnerable than the vaccinated. I wonder if you'll see this study in the CBC. Stay with us for more. that Justin Trudeau has punished a member of his caucus who dared to travel when Trudeau told ordinary Canadians not to travel. That's a pretty high standard. I don't know if he'll be able to keep it up because, of course, we know Trudeau himself violates all of the lockdown rules when it suits him. He does not quarantine when he returns from foreign travel in the way he demands others. He does not socially distance or wear masks when it suits him for a photo op. On the other hand, he's very showy about it on other occasions. You might recall that when our friend David Menzies was beat up by Trudeau's bodyguards, it was because David had the temerity to show up at a Trudeau Christmas party fundraiser and try to ask the question, why can you have a Christmas party, but you're asking Canadians not to? It's the hypocrisy. And I think that's important because I support Canadians being free to travel and free to live their lives at home. So if I myself were able to travel, I would not regard it as a hypocrisy because I don't believe in the rules. But what about people like John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, and his luxury villa in North Palm Beach? Is it kosher for him to lock down his own city, but then fly down there for Christmas to get out of the cold, dreary Toronto? Our next guest is an accomplished journalist who was with the Toronto Sun for many years, She's now with our friends at True North, and she has escaped the lockdownism of Canada and is in the freedom, the promised land of Delray Beach, Florida. She joins us now, Sue Ann Levy. Sue Ann, great to see you again. I wish I was great down there, you. but more to the point, I wish I was free to come and go down there, um, but I'm not. I'm under lockdowns. Um, I think there's a moral difference between an ordinary citizen like yourself, enjoying freedom, traveling, going to the sun, going to freedom versus a Trudeau or a John Tory or a Doug Ford, people who lock down others 
but then want to get away from the lockdown themselves. I think that's an important distinction, isn't it? Oh, for sure. If they're declaring the rules and they're telling other people that they're vulnerable or they need to stay in their homes or socially distant or not have as many people as they would like for Christmas, then they have to play by the same rules. Uh, They need to stay wherever they are, whether it be in Toronto or Ottawa. And as far as I'm concerned, and people have come back at me for traveling, but I'm not declaring the rules. I'm not saying you or Ezra or the rest of the world have to stay and hide under their beds. Yeah. I'm free to go and I'm exercising that freedom. Yeah. And, and I think it's normal. I mean, travel and, you know, frankly, the idea of being a snowbird is a very Canadian thing. A lot of people in Calgary would go down to Arizona. A lot of people in Toronto and Quebec, you know, Quebecers love Florida. And the thing is, It's a sign of do they really mean it? It reminds me of when Leo DiCaprio goes on his yacht or when Al Gore flies on private jets. I'm not against people having wealth and yachts and private jets. It's just when these are the same people saying reduce your carbon footprint, it just goes to do they really mean it? And I think that's the thing here is I don't believe that these lockdowns have a scientific merit. I I think that the vaccination rate in Toronto is around 80%. It's actually higher uh, and then the natural immunity rate, it's almost everyone. So I, I don't know if they believe it, but their their own actions tell the tale. They're, they try and cheat when they can get away with it. And that it's that's what bugs me. They say one thing and do another, just like the, the carbon cops, DiCaprio and Al Gore do. It's been total hypocrisy with this COVID, the whole COVID process in the last two years. And we've seen plenty of examples of it. It's do as I say, not as I do. And, you know, I I think Canadians, certainly Trentonians and Ontarians are just sick of it all. Just absolutely sick of being told what to do, being lectured by leftist doctors who think they know better, self-righteous, sanctimonious people who you know, feel they can get on and tell on social media and tell people uh, they're not allowed to go here, there, enjoy their lives. Look, the goalposts keep changing, and I understand this is an evolving disease, but we're, you know, double-vaxxed, boosted, I am certainly, and, you know, <laughs> at some point you just have to say we have to learn to live with it. Yeah. And I don't think any of these health officials are prepared to say that. Yeah, and and they don't like when the camera is turned on them. I did a fairly boring tweet that I've. I mean, I've used the word, I've used the word, send me video of this guy breaking the lockdown rule. I've I've said that a dozen times. In fact, we actually last Christmas sent someone down to John Tory's place in Palm Beach just to see if the house was being used, and indeed it was being used. Now he claims it wasn't him in there, and I suppose I have to take him in his word. Um, but we hold public. Uh, office holders accountable. Now, it's true that a TV doctor is not an elected politician, but so many of the decision makers are not elected politicians. They're bureaucrats. They're, they're doctors who, for the first time in their lives, people care. People, you know, they're, they're celebrities. They're on TV. I, I just suggested, hey, anybody, is this TV doctor who's calling for lockdowns? If you catch him breaking the rules, send me the video. And the freak out. I, and I don't know. I suppose it's because they like their privacy. Yeah, me too. Or maybe because they don't like um, being held to a higher standard and they don't think the scrutiny belongs on them. I don't know. I just think that it's it feels classist 
Sue Ann. It feels like the fancy people have one set of rules. And, you know, the DoorDash drivers and the Amazon delivery boys and the grocery store cashiers, they work the whole time through. And I don't know, I just feel like the little people pay the price in the lockdown and the government sector hasn't missed a paycheck. And if anything, they've been having the time of their lives working by remote on Zoom. I just, it just really, I, and I'm not a Marxist, but I can't help but see the classist elements here. For sure, for sure. And yeah, the lack of compassion, the lack of understanding of what the average Joe has gone through and, you know, the celebrity doctors, the public health officials who have not missed a paycheck, even bureaucrats in the public service, whether it be at the level of the city of Toronto, Ontario, or Canada, none of them have missed a paycheck, have worked from home throughout, are still working from home, and they have no understanding of what, say, a waiter has gone through, a business owner has gone through, of what these ordinary people are doing to try and survive. And you know a lot of businesses have gone out of business because of the draconian rules. I want to talk about one more thing because you put this on Twitter and it made me sad to see it. And of course, there's hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Canadians in the same position. And your story, unfortunately, is is all too common. But because you're a, a, a reporter and you're, you're prominent on Twitter, when you tell the story, a lot of people hear it. Your mom is in a senior's home and she was going to get on the plane and join you in sunny Florida. What a what a great family reunion. Obviously, she's an older lady. And because if and you tell me if I got the facts right here, because there was a single case in that whole senior's home, every senior has been locked down in the prison sense of the term lockdown. That's where the word lockdown used to be. Lock down that ward. There's a riot in the prison. Lock it down. That's what lockdown means. There was nothing else that was locked down. And tell me the, the, the story about your mom and how they're literally being imprisoned in their cells. They are. And in fact, I phoned up and we, she has a sense of humor. I have a sense of humor. And I said, how are things going? And I won't mention the retirement residents. How are things going in the blah, blah prison? And at least are you getting three square meals a day? I know you're not allowed to go out to the exercise yard uh, or to go to the prison library. Hmm. You know, having said that, these seniors, and I spent a lot of time in my last year at the Toronto Sun writing about how they were isolated, how they de- you know, de- deteriorated, as many died from the isolation and loneliness, in addition to those who died of COVID. And here we are two years in, and we're back to 2020. Now, I'm not even sure there's a case. It's not a resident. It's a staff member. The information is very, very uh, hard to get. I had to write the homes director four times yesterday because I was supposed to get on a plane on Monday and go up and get her. She has Lewy body dementia. She's 88. And I wanted her to have maybe, you know, a a good winter. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow brings. You know that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted her to have a pleasant winter. And I couldn't get information. They locked down the home. They're all stuck in their rooms getting their meals and that's it. They didn't even want my mom to walk the hallway. She needs to move her legs because of her condition. They told her caregiver she couldn't go out of her suite. I mean, how cruel is that? And it's not just my mom, but I wanted to expose it because it's happening to others. And she will make it down to Florida eventually. 
However, it's just really cruel. And half of her home is not Jewish. They do celebrate Christmas. Can you imagine? Can Do you think Eileen Davila, the medical officer of health in Toronto, would spend her Christmas alone in a small suite, having meals only delivered, maybe through the door? <laughs> maybe we should put a hole in her door and deliver them that way. Well, on that the really is like a prison. I've had the uh, unusual experience of visiting people in prison, including in lockdown type situations, it is considered a form of psychological torture to be in solitary confinement. I should tell you that Definitely. even when I visited my friend Tommy Robinson in the ultra high security uh, Belmarsh prison, that's the UK version of Guantanamo Bay, that's where all the terrorists and the murderers are kept, even the worst of the worst are allowed out for exercise for an hour a day. They're allowed visitors. Um, it, uh, not everyone in, in solitary is, but it's a form of torture. It's frowned upon by civil rights and uh, groups like Amnesty. And what you're describing your mom going through is literally the definition of solitary confinement. It is. Uh, the only difference is that she does have a caregiver coming in to help her because she has certain care needs for eight, seven, eight hours a day. But the rest of the time, she's all by herself. I've been calling her once, twice a day to make sure she's okay. I could go visit her because I'm an essential caregiver. If I was up there, my brother can go in as well. But we have to suit up, mask, all the protocols. I'm telling you, Ezra, my dad died of COVID. He was in hospital for two weeks last year. I suited up and, you know, because there was a sincere threat. There is no threat. Why the heck would one have to suit up in a mask, in gowns, in gloves? I mean, you know, to me, it is just a total of abuse of power by public health officials. You know, the whole thing reminds me of airport security. I mean, there was a terrible event, 9-11. And for 20 years now, we have what I call public, sorry, air, you know, security theater. It's very showy. It's very ostentatious. But I don't think they've got a single terrorist in 20 years. Um, and the thing is, okay, it's a hassle. We grumble, but okay, so it's a half an hour extra of your of your life on a trip. It's not the end of the world. You feel a little groped sometimes, but it's not the end of the world. I think this is public health theater. At this point, maybe a year and a half ago there, we didn't know, or maybe there was some rationale uh, that made sense then. But if you've got a double vax patient and a double vax family member and the whole facility is vaxxed to dress up like a spaceman uh, from head to toe, that's public health theater. There's no science there. And unlike the airport security theater, it's not a half hour inconvenience uh, on the front end of a lovely trip. It's a day in, day out uh, change of your life. I think it, I think the, quote, cure for this pandemic is far more devastating than the virus itself. Last word to you, my friend. And I absolutely agree. And, you know, my mom is a tough cookie. I uh, get come by it honestly. So she will make it through. My brother and I are very invested in her care. But I have to tell you, the other thing is that they absolutely hate when you question, mm -hmm. you question what they're doing. And I was even bullied into, because um, I wanted to take my mom out, into being told that I could face a $5,000 a day fine if I took her out while they were in lockdown. So you, this is how they offer. Threats, 
threat, probably illegal. They probably just made probably. it up. But but you, it's brought out the inner authoritarian. You know what? In each of us, there's a little devil and a little angel. I mean, we we know that a stereotypical image of a devil and an angel on each shoulder whispering into our ears. Each of us has the ability to do wonderful things and to do terrible things. And we have to govern ourselves. And unfortunately, this pandemic and the lockdowns have really brought out the authoritarian within so many of us. And it's shocking the worst. to see. Yeah. Well, Sue Ann, it's great to see you. Sorry, go ahead. You were about Thank to say. Thank you. I was just going to say that what really is upsets me is that these are vulnerable seniors yeah. who can't fight back, don't have the energy to fight back. So that's what really troubles me. Well, and I agree with you on that. And I regard myself as lucky that I am with my own company, that I'm not, I mean, so seniors are obviously vulnerable, but even workers who have no alternative. And if they don't obey some corporate edict or some political edict, they're going to be fired. I regard myself as very lucky that I live a life where I'm independent in most ways. And I think most rebel staff feel the same way, that we have some freedom here. If you're in an institution like your mom is, or if you're in a corporate institution, a lot of your civil rights have been taken away. And I think we'll be facing the legal, moral, social, psychological, and health consequences of that for a very long time. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're down there in the promised nice land. Nice to see you. Happy holidays. You too, my friend. Yeah. And folks, just uh, the exciting news is you can continue to follow Sue Ann Levy in the web pages of True North, TNC.news. So make sure you give her a follow. She was one of the feistiest columns, columnists and reporters of the Toronto Sun. It was a great loss to them when she left them, uh, but it was a great gain to True North. So make sure you follow Sue Ann there. Take care, my friend. Enjoy the sun. Thank you. I will. All right. There you have it. Boy, I'm jealous. I'm here in frosty Toronto. And that's Sue Ann Levy in Delray Beach. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer feedback. H1RO86. I'm not sure if that's your mama's given name to you. Says, brilliantly exposing hypocrisy. The only reason to be mad at forcing people to be held accountable is if they have intention to break their own rules. They have zero internal accountability in the Liberal Party and their goons, and it's great to see someone injecting some. I think private people should be allowed to have their private lives. I really do. Um, there are some exceptions uh, for uh, people who call for other families to be... For example, if the wife of Toronto's mayor breaks the rules, I think it does reflect on him, even though I would call his spouse a private person. I mean, we know for a fact that Sophie Trudeau was jetting all around the place and she gave COVID to actually a movie star in um, in London, which was a little bit unusual. Um, so, But normally I would say Sophie, uh, especially since they're estranged, that's a private person. I think normally the wife of the mayor is a private person. I really don't think private matters should be in the public interest. I, I just don't think so. I don't want to go down that road as a society. But it is not a private matter when a pundit on TV who is calling for lockdowns then breaks the lockdowns. And I don't have proof that he descending that doctor breaks the rules. I don't have proof of it. In fact, the opposite. I asked for proof of it because I think that his calling for the lockdowns and his calling for the cancellation of Christmas parties is so absurd that I simply don't believe without proof that he's obeying him. 
I mean, across this country, we've seen public health officers and premiers and mayors and MLAs and MPPs break it all the time. Um, I think you have to assume none of them mean it, just like you have to assume that the global warming extremists don't mean it. I don't know if anyone had a larger carbon footprint as a cabinet minister than Catherine McKenna, the former environment minister. I mean, you just can't take them at face value. They don't practice what they preach. They don't mean it. It's just a tool to control you. The tea talk says palliative medicine, the practice of making dying people comfortable via drugs. Wonder how many overdoses he has provided. Well, I, I don't think we have any evidence of that, and I wouldn't cast aspersions on him. As far as I know, he's a, an accomplished doctor, and I, I wouldn't impute anything to him. I, and that's not my criticism of him. I don't know how he can practice medicine given his full-time career as a TV darling, but I have no evidence whatsoever, and I don't allege that he is a bad doctor. Uh, I think uh, he's getting away from medicine and into politics, uh, and that's what I want to hold him accountable for. So I'm going to politely disagree with you. And it's not that I'm sticking up for him. I'm just saying I have no evidence whatsoever that he's anything but a fine doctor. And I, I, that's certainly not my point. My criticism of him was not even as a doctor. It was the opposite, actually. It was him as a politician hiding behind his MD. Well, that's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a bit of a change of pace. A video from our Adam Sose in Calgary talking about something we don't talk about a lot on this show. Bill C4. I'll leave you with that. Good night. It's an ideological shutdown. What I've learned is that there, there seems to be an undercurrent of, of thinking that's happening right now. Where it's like, let's say uh, I don't validate your feelings. Then I'm actually committing like, uh, like a, a, a harm to you. And it's like, this is what I'm worried about is that like my story invalidates the feelings of some other people, but but people have to have to dig into this, you know, and and and, and explore, mm -hmm. look, and ultimately look for the peace. Adam Sos here for Rebel News, bringing you an update on our banbillc4.com campaign. We're urging you to go to that URL, check it out, sign our petition, and send an email with our one-click option to let people know that you're opposed to this bill. This bill at face value seems like a standard conversion therapy bill, but when you start looking at the definitions, it becomes extremely problematic. This bill fundamentally undermines people's rights to access whichever sort of therapy they deem best for them. It is a marginalizing bill, and it is a bill that furthermore undermines religious freedoms in this country. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Hudson, who is going to share his testimony about his experience and share his concerns about Bill C4. So uh, Hudson, if you could just let me know maybe first off why you became concerned about Bill C4. Sure. Uh, one of the biggest reasons was because I was afraid that if a bill like this came out, then people with a story like mine, we wouldn't be able to share our stories, uh, often involving like, you know, being touched by the love of God and how we've devoted our, st striven to devote our lives to him and, and how that has just led us to have transformed lives overall in many ways. Um, I've, I've found that there's some people who believe that that in and of itself could amount to conversion therapy by us sharing our stories. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's kind of unsettling, you know? 
And for those folks who maybe aren't familiar with you, can you share just like a little bit about your story? Maybe the, the, the Coles Notes version. <laughs> sure, Coles Notes version. Yeah. Um, so uh, same-sex attractions and transgender inclinations, what they be called today, are both part of my story. And uh, somehow I found myself back, uh, I, I found my way back into the Catholic Church, the last place the world said I could ever look. Uh, and, and I've never looked back. And in there I found like the, the peace, joy, hope, freedom, love, all those things that I was looking for in the world, and I found it there in the church. And and I know that um, negotiating the whole same-sex attractions and transgender inclinations, uh, it's not like there, there was never a word of like trying to change me or anything like that. It was just people were just invested in trying to help me uh, discover the love of Jesus more mm -hmm. than I already knew, right? Yeah. And and I, I there came a point where I just needed to, uh, for reasons of my own, I knew I needed to do that. I knew I wanted to do that, and then I did that. And and that, that impacted all areas of my life and especially including things like um, self-control and like learning, like keeping my eyes pointed towards like spiritual direction so that I could just make better decisions in life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that took me out of, um, you know, other, other, other tendencies, let's say of like tendency, being thirsty for like love and attention from the world, things that don't actually fulfill anyway. I don't know, a short story is uh, I, I it's helped reform me as a man and I'm an ongoing project and a journey and stuff. And I get that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I've the, for, for, in my story, like, I mean, once I had, there was a, a restoration of sorts and set in my sense of being a man mm -hmm. and, uh, along alongside growing in that in ways that I didn't know at the time, I noticed that the sex, uh, same sex romantic tr attractions diminished uh, and I was like, oh, I didn't notice that till after they were, you know, that happened. Yeah. And the similar thing with transgender inclinations, it was, I had to no longer become scared of being a man because I, I did, there was lots of the world of man that I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah. And that, that got, that got, that just kind of, as the fear went down and I trusted the Lord more, I was able to enter into that more. And then, and then I noticed one day that I, I wasn't experiencing transgender inclinations anymore. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I wonder what happened. And so I was able to trace it back to that sort of thing. So, so one of the concerns, obviously, with Bill C4, um, originally, I think, I think the notion of conversion therapy, the sort of traditional forced coercive conversion therapy that we hear about, there's already laws in place to prevent that. That's concerning. What, 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 and that's, that's, that is clearly something we probably would both condemn. Oh, yeah. What happens with Bill C4, though, is it becomes extremely problematic because someone like you, who I, would you say you were ever forced to undergo these conversations um, with, with pastors or was it or, or people that you're talking to, or was it something that you freely sought out? Um, I I was never forced into any type of conversation like this. In fact, I know some people who were greatly harmed by what we would think of conversion therapy, where they were tried to force their change it is horrible stuff and of yeah. course i think anybody would agree that that kind of stuff is ridiculous what i'm worried about is uh, i've had some people voice to me that anything short of full promotion mm -hmm. equals conversion therapy and i'm like whoa 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 yeah. like let's talk about that right because at, at, at the end of the day in my life um there was definitely a conversion of heart and that's because of jesus christ and entering into that and choosing that for myself mm -hmm. and you know having people to support me to not like like not to change attractions or gender stuff, but yeah. to, to, to help me like taste the love of Christ more. Yeah. And, uh, that I worry about that, that there being a chilling effect that if people know that maybe something like that is part of someone's story, that they'll be afraid to talk about that mm. 
because yeah. they might not know what is okay and what's not okay, you know? Yeah. Just just generally speaking, what Bill C4 could do would be, it's very infantilizing. It could take someone like you, someone who's maybe having some questions, maybe experiencing same-sex attraction, having some transgender inclinations, and that person, I think, regardless of who they are, has every bit as decency, as much decency as you or I. They have innate human decency. They have the freedom, and I think we should treat them with respect to allow them to seek out different opinions, to seek out different voices. You had that opportunity, no one forced you, but you had the freedom to do that. And that freedom is likely going to be ultimately taken away, deprived and made very much illegal by Bill C4. Yeah, it, it, to me, it seems like that is probably gonna be the case. And even if it doesn't by the letter of the law, I, I'm still concerned that enough people will be scared that it could put them in trouble, so they just won't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And and But I do encourage people to actually read Read the law, not just like the the headline from yeah. uh, you know what 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 people you know. It's going to get characterized a certain way, and and ultimately, I think that if 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 there's truth behind uh, you know if there's truth behind things, people won't be afraid to have things questions asked, right? Yeah. Like I, anybody could ask me a question. I don't really care. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But like if uh, if I was trying to twist things, you know, it'd be like yeah. No, I just I want people to look into this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's nice to see. People who've experienced stories like this, people like yourself, advocating for conversations. What we're seeing very often, politically, Bill C-4 is almost the poster child of it, is an ideological shutdown of conversations and dialogue is vital to society. Yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> it's an ideological shutdown. Of What I've learned is that there, there seems to be an undercurrent of, of thinking that's happening right now, where it's like, let's say uh, I don't validate your feelings, then I'm actually committing like, uh, like, a, a harm to you and it's like this is what i'm worried about is that like my story invalidates the feelings of some other people but but people have to have to dig into this you know and and and, and explore mm -hmm. look and ultimately look for the peace like you know even even if like my heart's been touched by by christ i know this and and it's like it, they could they could make it so that even saying any piece of my story is illegal but they can't illegalize the love of god and that's and that's what i'm hoping maybe we'll get brought to the surface you know cards are being revealed and it's like well maybe maybe the peace that i have can be revealed and maybe people will want it you know well i want to thank you for coming forward sharing your story um it's wonderful to see that people like you are keeping the conversation alive um i think very much as bill it was intended at shutting the conversation down but i know your story matters and people who have stories like yours wherever they are on the spectrum those stories deserve to be heard because you're every bit as important as anyone else so thank you so very much for coming forward and sharing your story thank you thank appreciate you. it well i want to thank hudson for providing us with his perspective and his concerns on Bill C4. Again, I'm urging you to consider going to banbillc4.com to learn more and to sign our petition opposing this discriminatory and bigoted bill that is riddled with problematic languages and problems. It in itself comes in confrontation with fundamental charter rights that are insured, like the right for an individual to seek the therapy they deem best, as well as religious freedoms. I want to thank you all, as always, for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sos. Hey, if you think that Canadians have the right to seek whichever counselling they deem best for themselves or their family members, go to banbillc4.com, sign our petition, click our one-click politics link to send an email to the people responsible for bringing Bill C4 into law.